Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Girl About Town. I'm DJ Nico. And for this month's show, I will be dedicating it to Jackie Shane. On Friday, June the 23rd in Toronto, we will be celebrating the unveiling of a plaque dedicated to Jackie Shane and her time in Toronto as a performer and and singer in the clubs here in the city. And this all happened in the 60s. Jackie Shane is originally from Nashville, Tennessee, and she made her way to Canada uh, in the late 50s. And she spent many years in Toronto as a performer in the Young Street Strip, uh, which is our main street uh, that had a lot of... uh, clubs and uh, and shops and that was our sort of main street uh, that you could find most of the entertainment especially in the 50 in the 40s 50s and 60s uh, so yeah Jackie Shane was quite an important person in Toronto during that time and helped uh, establish a new sound for the city uh, she brought her her sort of take on R&B and soul music and influenced many artists that, that were from here who were Canadian uh, who did go see her perform uh, as well as uh, some of the traveling artists that came through Toronto in that time. Uh, so today I will be speaking to two people. So it'll be two interviews and I will start with Amanda Burt who is a producer for a documentary that will be coming out soon on Jackie Shane uh, called Any Other Way, The Jackie Shane Story, and that will be released 
in in 2024, uh, and she is the person responsible for a uh, a grassroots community fundraiser that um, helped get a plaque dedicated to Jackie Shane at the location in which Jackie uh, had recorded a live album, and that place is called the Sapphire Tavern. So this is happening. On Friday, June the 23rd, the dedication uh, of a plaque to Jackie Shane, as well as uh, declaring Jackie Shane Day on the 23rd. So really excited about all of that. So yeah, let us listen to the interview. And uh, yes, and we will come back halfway through the program. girl born and bred I lived in Halifax for a long time and moving out there is what got me really into like music scenes and uh, art and that whole vibe which was like Halifax in the 90s which was pretty awesome and came back here and since I've been here um, I've worked mostly in media so I had a column in iWeekly RIP we love i and I worked at CBC for a really long time I was a wardrobe stylist for music videos and um, helped make those for a long time I was a musician myself and then in the last five years I guess I've been working with a company called Banger Films making music documentaries so I made a series for Netflix and Bell that was called This Is Pop which was pretty rad for me because I love music and I love all kinds of music. And the thing about pop is that it encompasses all kinds of music if you look at the history of it. So that was a real trip and I got to travel the world and talk to anyone from like Shania Twain to Benny from ABBA to T-Pain to, you know, you name it. 
So that was pretty sweet. And in that same time, when we were making pop with all these amazing creatives, another creative came to me and was working on wanting to put together a Jackie Shane documentary. And of course, growing up here and sneaking out of my parents' house to go dancing at different places and having older friends who knew about records and going to vinyl museum and digging through things. I knew who Jackie Shane was, at least musically. I didn't really know her story, but I had heard her songs and that was even from when I was a teenager. And so, you know, my friend, Michael Mabbitt, wanted to make this doc on Jackie and came to Banger. And that was probably five years ago. And for five years, we've been really trying our best to push it forward. And, you know, I can get into all the details of how that happened, but we brought on another director named Luca Rosenberg Lee, who's an amazing uh, creative. And we brought on the National Film Board of Canada as our co-producer. And then Bell came on as our uh, broadcast partner in Canada. And as the ball started rolling, we had all these amazing creatives that wanted to be a part of it, but it was really hard to get it over the hump of actually getting the money to put this thing together because funders and sometimes networks were like, ah, a story about a black trans artist from the 60s that nobody knows. Like, I don't know, it's a little bit niche and maybe I don't know if our audiences will really understand or even want to watch it which was pretty harsh to hear, but uh, we kept going. And then the world started to change as we were start, as we were putting uh, the story together and for ch- changing in good ways and in terrible ways. But it suddenly meant that the documentary we were making, more people would maybe get it or may- maybe more people should want to watch it. So... Early last year, we ended up getting an executive producer in Elliot Page, who um, is an amazing... I actually saw him speak last night at TIFF, and it was just an incredible book launch, and I'm just dying to read his book. But he came on as an executive producer, and that sort of was the last puzzle piece that we needed to be able to start making this doc. So, of course, we're in with Jackie's family. We've been to Nashville a number of times. We've had access to everything... of. Um, every piece of Jackie's archive. We helped the family organize it and realize what they had. Um, anyone that we feel that maybe knew Jackie, interviewed her, tried to make a film on her, was her friend, played with her. We've spoken to them. We've interviewed them for the doc. And it's just been this amazing gift. You know, somebody that we thought we knew and loved, now we truly know and love. Um, and we're just so working on this film. We're still in editing. There's so many parts to be able to finish it. And, uh, you know, next year the world will be able to see it. And we're, we're, we're so excited to share it with the world. I'm coming down, coming down, coming down. Coming down Well I'm coming down, 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 down I'm coming down with a heartache I ain't sick, but I got a fever My blood pressure's running high My pulse ain't right, I can't sleep at night And here's the reason why You ain't been around for a week or two I ain't seen high now 
a condition The doctor can't diagnose Cause when her heart starts to come apart You can't hear it with the stethoscope What's wrong with me is a simple fact I don't believe you're ever coming back I'm coming down A doctor can't diagnose Cause when a heart starts to come apart You can't hear it with the stethoscope What's wrong with me is a simple fact No, I don't believe you're ever coming back I'm coming down Growing up in Toronto, I was lucky enough to be exposed to people that knew more Toronto music history than I did. And I felt like I knew it because I was looking for it. And I was a teen that was hungry for that stuff. And so I definitely knew Jackie Sheen's name, knew nothing about her. But people that were older than me knew people that would have seen her perform. They knew that she was on the scene on the Young Street Strip, knew that she was an incredible performer. But again, that was just word of mouth. That was not out there. And then in 2017, uh, when the box set, I think it was 2017, maybe November 2017, when that box set from Numero was reissued and then eventually got a Grammy nomination, which is like totally wild, that just sort of blew open the doors of the knowledge of Jackie. You know, Elaine Banks made this amazing radio documentary for CBC. So that sort of, you know, the fluttering started. People wanted to know, is she alive or dead? Is she around? Who knows? But as people started to realize what Jackie's story was, they really realized the stories that we know about Toronto musical history are not complete. You know, there's been this sea change, especially, of course, with Drake and all the power of music that he and his collaborators collaborators and people that have come in his footsteps have made where Toronto being called the six and a music city in a different kind of way is really incredible. But the Toronto that I was told about when I was young, you know, you were cool if you knew that Rodney Hopkins was on Young Street and that the band was his backup band. And certainly my parents and the older people around me would tell me about Yorkville and, um, you know, the folk clubs and just the people that were there, like Phil Oaks and Joni Mitchell and Gordon Lightfoot and, you know, all those people. So that's what I thought Toronto of the 60s was. But then to find out that, no, the influence on the band and all these other bands that were on Young Street wanting to get this American Southern R&B sound, that those musicians would have gone to see the real deal. And that real deal was Jackie Shane. You know, why didn't I know that before? So I feel like Jackie's deep influence on Toronto 
at the time and since in terms of her musical legacy is one that we just haven't talked about. Maybe some insiders knew. If they were there, they of course knew. Um, but all the music that we talk about as being the foundational sound of this city, I would say all roads lead to Jackie. And then in terms of you know her queer following, and I'm gonna say in Toronto and worldwide, the moment that photos went public of Jackie, you know, when people realized, oh, she's around still, oh, there's this box set, oh, there's this incredible performer that we didn't know. And if you listen to the music, why didn't we know? She's such a good, amazing performer. The minute that people saw her, Jackie just emanates from any photograph that you're going to see. If you see a poster or a picture, even if it's smudged and from a newspaper, she leaps off the page and you realize this was a dynamic person and probably a dynamic performer. So you can just see that she was living her life in a way that was authentic and true and bold and out there. And, you know, I know this in hindsight from talking to people that knew her and saw her, but that's the way that it came across in real life. And that's the way that she made people feel that they could do that for themselves. So in terms of a, a queer icon, Jackie is the queer icon we, I hope we deserve, but you know, I wish we had had for all these decades since she was with us, because I think things would have changed if we had had her standing with us from when she was on stage in Toronto in the 1960s until she was rediscovered in the late 2010s. And, you know, sadly she's not with us anymore, but her, the power of Jackie remains.
always started with our team who is who are making the doc and as we we're going through her archive in Nashville which was last summer with boxes and boxes of receipts and ephemera and pieces of paper and I saw oh she got that pink suit jacket made at Bloor and Bathurst at Kaplan's okay oh she bought her underwear up at Bloor and Concord across from now it's Long McQuaid but the Concord Tavern oh she she lived on Dundas and on McPherson and at the Andor Hotel. Like all these receipts are from her life in Toronto. That was, we knew she was from here, but we didn't know how much she was in the zone. All the jewels, all the jewelry that she bought, Young Street or pawn shops on Church Street. This girl lived here. And, you know, for us that had all the information that was out there, of course, Rob Bowman's amazing liner notes all the articles, Washington uh, Post and uh, New York Times and just all the articles that came out around the box set. You know, we had the basic building blocks of knowing about her bio and her timeline, but no one had ever really written about all the minutiae and the day-to-day life of Jackie and realizing at her most out there time when people knew and were engaging with her, she was a Toronto person and she defined this place. So to me, you know, our team was one of the, were we the only group that had access to that? Maybe. And it just felt like we had to do something beyond the film. The film, I hope, will be a good, you know, document of our telling of Jackie's story. And I hope that lots and lots of people see it and love it. But that's something over here. Like, this city needs to embrace Jackie in a way that it hadn't been and it should and we need to because it's a story that Toronto should be telling about itself. So, yeah, we just felt like we have this information. We can share it with the world. How can we do it outside of the film? And so, you know, and I just felt like, why isn't there a heritage plaque to Jackie? There's heritage plaques for all sorts of things in Toronto that are amazing, but this is way bigger and it just feels like a huge omission. So the cool thing is I approached Heritage Toronto in December and said, hey, what do you think about a plaque? Part of this team, we know stuff, we can help. Um, And by the way, could we have it unveiled? I know this might be a bit of a short runway, but during Pride in June, because Jackie's family is going to be up in Toronto and it would be great for them to see this. And there were a lot of yeses after that. You know, we started the campaign, I think, over the Christmas holidays. Chris at Heritage Toronto just got yeses from the board. We started a campaign in January. I believe it's the fastest grassroots campaign they've ever had for any plaque ever, which is amazing. But the notes, you know, I started an Instagram account called the Jackie Shame Plaque, which meant that people were able to reach me from all over the world. So I'm hearing from people in Australia and Germany and the UK and the South and Nashville and everywhere who either saw Jackie, knew Jackie, or were obsessed with her as an icon. So that told me, okay, this is going to happen. So yeah, we got the money, the plaque started, we wrote up the plaque, we found the pictures, we got people involved. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) Okay, is that enough? So think about that. I was like, well, if we're doing this plaque thing and it's during Pride and Jackie's family is here, I think we could dial it up a little bit more. So I have to say, I've never done this before and I highly recommend doing it because it's 
not as daunting as it seemed, but I went to the protocol office at City Hall and had some back and forth emails and then went through the process of asking for approval for a proclamation to make June 23rd, the day we're unveiling the plaque, Jackie Shane Day in Toronto. And so I wrote this very long letter, which is all the things that I've learned about Jackie and all the intersections I've had with people all over the world, our film, her family, music, history, etc. Everything we've done, of course, the plaque, all the people that have supported it. And I got it in the hopper and I just crossed my finger and hoped. And, you know, other than some nudging, because these things take a while, it was a yes. And it's going to happen on Friday, um, which is really exciting. And yeah, there's a proclamation. It'll be Jackie Shane Day in Toronto, same day that the plaque will be unveiled. And I don't think I thought that would happen. (laughs) You know, when I started this Jackie project, I didn't think I'd get into grassroots activism. However, if you can, you have to. And I felt like I was uniquely positioned. My team, documentary team, was uniquely positioned. We have this information. We have to share it. It's not ours to keep. It's ours to share. Yeah.
One of the themes we're exploring in the documentary is the idea of loss. So not only have we lost Jackie because she passed away, you know, in 2019, just maybe 10 days after the Grammys, but we, as a culture, had experienced the loss of not having Jackie with us for all those decades. You know, we have her music, but why wasn't she bigger? She's an amazing performer and her voice is incredible. Anybody who saw her would say that. Any review you read in the Toronto Star or anything, anyone that was talking about Jackie back in the day talks about that. So what happened in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000s where Jackie wasn't around? You know, her talent was intact. Um, people that loved her were looking for her and wanted to make sure she was good. And, you know, there's a multitude of reasons that she wasn't in the public eye. And not everyone gets to stay in the public eye for their entire life. But one of the reasons is that we, as a collection of societies, because Canada is different than the States, is different than the UK, different than Europe, but, you know, we go through phases of being able to see other people and realize that we're fully seeing them or if we've put them maybe in the shadows. And, you know, the loss that we've, we're realizing is that if we had been in a different society then and somebody could have been fully accepted as being transgender, then Jackie would have likely had had a very different life than the life that she ended up having. And also, one of the stories we're telling in the documentary, too, is about the story of the family, um, Jackie's family, who didn't know Jackie. Uh, certainly, the older members did. But they say, and they say this in the doc, that at that time, you didn't talk about people like that in your family, which to a lot of people, especially younger people today, you wouldn't, you're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, that's insane. But to older people or people that would have lived through that or have relatives like that, they're like, yep, yeah, I totally understand that. And I don't agree with it maybe, but it's, I could see why that just wouldn't have been spoken of. So for Jackie not to have experienced uh, comfort or support or acceptance even in her own family, let alone the wider society at large, of course, how could she have been in the public eye and been herself for longer and longer? You know, she had to do what she needed to do to feel secure and happy and physically safe. And she did that. Um, you know, her story is not a traumatic story, beautiful things happened in the time that she was out of the public eye, but also some very sad things happened. And, you know, part of the onus of that sadness should be on us just as a culture, not totally accepting people, even if we think that we do. So yeah, the visual, the reason for the visual documentary beyond the music is because this was a person who was not documented in her time. You know, there's one piece of uh, video that lots of, anyone who knows Jackie has seen it on YouTube and it's her on a Nashville show called Night Train singing Walk in the Dog. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We know that she was on a show in Canada as well, and no one's been able to find that footage. And I am dying to see it, so if anyone has it... Please tell me we are looking for it. It's thought that it was on CBC, but I also think it might have been on that Hamilton, that Dave Marsden might have been the host and it might have been on a Hamilton station. But anyhow, that is lost to history at this moment unless somebody can find it. But as of right now, we have one clip of about two and a half minutes of Jackie performing. We have the world has seen maybe 25 photos of Jackie. With this documentary, you will see hundreds and we are doing some things within this documentary, which I'll, I can say we're doing rotoscope animation to bring her back to life, really, maybe for the first time. So we wanted this visual extravaganza with many, many, many layers of representation created by people that were in the same communities as Jackie to actually create something that maybe for the first time she's being experienced, maybe for the first time she's being found, and that this can be a starting point for the way that people understand and connect to Jackie, that it's not just this recording from 1963, that it's actually this living and breathing person who loved and lost and had amazing things to say about the world. From the soul of Brooklyn, you are listening to The Face Radio. Next up, we will hear from Rob Bowman, who is a musicologist and professor up here in Toronto, Canada. Uh, he is very well known for the Grammy that he won for the incredible Stax Records box set that he wrote the liner notes for. And uh, yeah, his knowledge is so deep and varied in terms of music. So I had the pleasure of speaking to Rob and uh, he, he talked about his experience getting to know Jackie Shane when working on the box set. Uh, he had done the liner notes for the box set that came out by Numero Group a few years ago that was nominated for Grammy and sadly did not win. Um, but yeah, Rob got to know Jackie very, very well, spent many hours talking to her and uh, getting as much information as he could to help develop the liner notes, but also built this incredible uh, deep friendship with Jackie. So uh, let us hear from Rob.
six when it first came out but by the time I was seven because of the Beatles I was listening to AM radio my transistor and I began to hear any other way as an oldie if you will and he got played a lot and even more through 66 67 her run at the Sapphire and the live album really brought a lot of attention to her so I bought the single which stayed in stock forever and I bought the live album so I really knew about Jackie and you know, I understood Jackie at the time as a man. I didn't even really realize that Jackie was gay because I didn't get to see Jackie. She's playing nightclubs. I'm way underage. But I love the records. And I got a job writing for a magazine when I was 15, lied about my age and got lucky. It's November 71. And I thought it'd be great if I could do an article on Jackie Shane and interview this person. And then she left the city December 71. I or no, nor anyone else knew that this is forever, not only from Toronto, but actually going to, you know, seclusion and never performing again. So, obviously, over time, that idea evaporated. Most people assumed Jackie was dead. There's all sorts of stories and rumors about that. Until finally it was discovered she was actually alive and well, living in Nashville, but nobody could reach her. Never, ever thought this could possibly happen. <laughs>
any other way. this woman so full of life and she was really excited to tell her story and we could really relate to each other because Jackie knew black gospel music inside out and so do I and that used to amaze Jackie she'd reference something and I'd go blah 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 say come around she goes you didn't say that Oh, no, you didn't. And she used to be funny that way. She used those phrases. I say, yes, I did, Jackie. And she goes, oh, I wish more European people had known about this music. So we got really, really close. We would talk for three, four hours at a time. And I'd say half of it might be what I intended to ask in that particular phone call for the liner notes. But half of it, it would veer off into everything else. She'd talk about politics in the Middle East. She talked about Trump. She talked about Cecily Tyson and Betty Davis, both of whom she loved. She loved movies. And Jackie would veer all over the place. We'd be talking about something. She goes, oh, you know Jimmy, right? Or no. She'd go, you know Jim, right? I go, Jim who? She goes, you play guitar. And I'm like going, okay, still, Jim who? And she goes, oh, I know you know him. He became really big. Um, and then she'd say something about Jimi Hendrix. She goes, yeah. And it's, it was just blow my mind. It was just Jim to her. Because, of course, she met Jimi Hendrix in 1965 when she was back in Nashville briefly uh, taping that Walking the Dog show. And Jimmy was on the same show. He'd been playing rhythm guitar with Little Richard. When Richard had his first big hit, Tutti Frutti, he came to Nashville. It's 1955. Jackie's 15. There's a party for him. And, of course, who's throwing the party? It's the gay underground subculture in Nashville. And Jackie, of course, is already part of it. So she'd known Richard forever. So Jim, or Jimi Hendrix, was simply Richard's guitarist. And she'd talk about it. She goes, you know, later on I visited him in L.A. in his hotel room and he had a drug problem, Rob. And he goes, he's doing these drugs and I knew they were bad for him. I used to try to talk to him. I would explain to him why these things weren't good for you. Jackie, by the way, never smoked, never drank, never did drugs. Straight edge. Uh, but she's so funny. The way she'd tell me these very personal stories, but it wasn't like this big rock and roll star. It was like this, it seemed there was a certain naivety to just 
who the heck Jimi Hendrix had become, but she knew he was big. She knew he was playing hockey arenas, but it was still just her friend Jim. She was stuck with doing little Richard's winks, too. It was hysterical the way she'd talk about Richard, who, again, wasn't anything big. It was just somebody she'd known forever that she'd help out doing his winks till he pissed her off too much, and then she wouldn't work with him. This is after she had... Uh, left Toronto. She still would help Richard privately because Richard was a friend. She's just amazing. And you couldn't help but fall in love with her. She was so excited to talk about this stuff. Her stories were unreal. Much wilder than a Hollywood scriptwriter could ever come up with. And that's partially because she's in the music business. It's partially because she had unbelievable stories about, unfortunately, being black and international at that time. And unbelievable stories about somebody perceived as a gay man in a world where being gay was uh, criminal in some places and highly dangerous in many places. 
Um, but she also had incredible music stories. And Jackie had a strong personality. She'd tell these stories, and you could see this was a woman who had always been able to stand up for herself and control her world back in a world where if you were black, that was difficult, if you were gay, that was difficult, and if you were a woman, I mean, it was difficult. Jackie had power, and not in an obnoxious, ugly way, but she had the kind of self-confidence and self-knowledge. It's kind of amazing given what time she was growing up and coming of age and what time she was working in and the realities of, of being black and being a woman in a man's body. She had this self-knowledge that was so impressive, so incredible, so life-affirming. She was one of the most amazing people I've ever spoken with. And I've had a pretty interesting life. I've met a lot of you know, just interesting people from Prince to Bob Dylan to Bob Marley to Mick Jagger. Jackie affected me as much or more than anyone I've ever met in my life. And the relationship went long after the project was finished. We kept talking twice a week, two to three, four hours. And um, it was very, very, very special. I really wish she was alive to see this plaque and Jackie Shane Day. I don't know whether she would have come, but I would have hoped that might have finally got her out of her house, but I couldn't say that for sure. Clothes on the wash line never look new. The smoky air turns me gray. The sun can't pass through my dirty window. I kind of like it that way. And my tenement. Excuse me, yeah. 
You know, there's a couple of murals in Toronto with Jackie's image on them. One huge one on Young Street East Side, just north of college. It's a 22-story building. There's seven, I believe, quote, icons of Toronto music. Jackie's dead center. When I told her that, she couldn't believe it. I went and took a picture, sent it to her. She framed it. She actually had it framed. She was so ecstatic that people remembered her. People cared that she meant something. Mm -hmm. And this plaque and the fact is Jackie Shane Day in Toronto, the place she wanted to call home, would have meant the world to her. I can't even begin to tell you. Jackie was so excited about the renewed attention and not so much just ego, oh, people are, you know, allotting me and paying attention, but it validated that she had meant something, that all that struggle, all that work she had done that was so far in the distance, she assumed nobody would really remember her. And to find out that her music, her, her work, her career, and now to some degree her life, meant so much to people in general, but very much to other transgendered individuals. For Jackie, this was overwhelmingly joyful. And she wanted a documentary film made. She also wanted a Hollywood biopic made. She really had big ideas. And we never talked about a plaque that was ever thought about or a Jackie Shane day. But this would have blown her mind and would have had her smiling and laughing. She had a great laugh. She would have been smiling and laughing, chortling nearly and go, Rob, can you believe this? I can you believe this? And uh, anyway, it's, it's a really, really, really beautiful thing.
broadcasting rules for some platforms, I was not able to play as many Jackie Shane tracks as I would have liked throughout the program. So we did hear some songs by the original artists in in many cases, or just other uh, covers or versions of tunes that uh, appeared on the live album that Jackie Shane had, uh, had released. Uh, that was the live performance from the Sapphire Room. Uh, so I did play some Lou Rawls, some Bobby Blue Bland, uh, Dee Dee Sharp, uh, William Bell, Aretha Franklin, Clyde McFadder, and we finished up with Irma Franklin. So we're going to hear one last Jackie Shane track uh, before we go, but just wanted to thank Amanda Burt for taking the time to talk to me. So really excited for the documentary that will be released in 2024 any other way the jackie shane story so keep an eye out for that and you can probably get more information on that documentary as it comes closer to release dates uh, by following the jackie shane plaque instagram account Uh, Really excited for the plaque unveiling on June the 23rd here in Toronto, as well as the dedication to Jackie Shane, the Jackie Shane Day on the 23rd. And uh, thanks so much to Rob Bowman for taking the time to talk to me as well about his experience uh, getting to know and uh, building a deep friendship and love for Jackie as well. So it was very touching to be able to speak to both of them and hear their perspectives on Jackie and how how deep they've uh, dug into her life, uh, either before her passing or after, uh, and telling her story as best as they can uh, and sharing the love for her music. So thanks so much, uh, DJ Nico. uh, And this program is called Girl About Town. Please take care of yourselves. (laughs) 